This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, where you have four topics discussed in approximately 15 minutes, just enough time so that you don't get too bored about a particular issue or, you know, we don't go into verbosity or whatever. And it's not too little discussion that you feel like the issue hasn't been discussed in enough depth. Now, Jordan's not here. Jordan is, I don't know, Wayne. Wayne York enjoying himself. This is done slightly earlier for reasons that aren't too interesting, so I won't elaborate on them. Um, but I thought we had to replace Jordan with uh, a heavyweight knockout. And obviously, on two fronts, not only is Susan Boyle's long-lost relative uh, a fan of the boxing ring, but Callum is also you know, a fantastic, knowledgeable human being, I think, I think we could stretch to that, who has got a first in his sports journalism degree. Thank you very much. I believe the last time I came on here after my wild predictions, I was known as Mystic Boyle. Um, so whoever who tweeted about saying that they wanted my predictions and you might get some later, I don't know. Yeah, uh, Mr. David Mbua, fan of the show from Kenya, um, is was a big fan of Callum last time he was on. Don't know why, you know, I mean, it, I'm clearly the... Uh, the man of of wonder every single week. But I won't blow my own trumpet anymore because, of course, that's not what you're here to listen to. You're here to listen to the football topics. And we have some wonderful ones. A bit about the Euros. I'm aware that's going to be time-bound because, well, the games are coming so thick and fast, aren't they, uh, Callum? I mean, I actually missed it on Friday. The only thing that uh, got me, you know, in, engaged and and uh, excited was, was sort of... Uh, the the Matt Hancock news and obviously we don't want that to be no no, no politics and football today no, yes not today not today what no. is interesting though and we were just discussing this before we come on there and this is topic one Gareth Southgate uh, England manager reports widely suggest that whatever the result on against Germany you see what I'm doing here because if you listen to this you'll already know. And we're not saying, you know, we're not previewing. We might do a bit of a preview. We're not reviewing because we can't because it's not happened. But this, Gareth Southgate News, it could sign a new deal. Well, I say could. He will, apparently. That's the thing. There's no could, if, but maybe. Apparently, according to reports, he will be signing an extension of a few years uh, in his uh, post uh, as England manager. FA, really happy with everything that he's doing. Irrespective of the result against Germany, it's widely expected he will sign a new extension in his role you're not happy are you no not really um not mainly because of the personnel in charge but i also think it's the wrong sort of thing to sort of say or suggest rather mid-tournament when in reality i think a lot of people if you speak to a lot of england fans whilst whilst it's very much a case of in the tournament results over performance i think with the group, we we should have had nine points, really. Like, we were better than all the opposition. And I think we sort of... It was just a bit lacklustre, wasn't it? And there's sort of no real signs of major progression. It feels like we've got such a talented squad at disposal, at disposal, but we're not really getting the absolute maximum out of it. And I don't know whether that's just a player thing or if it's a manager thing as well. And I just worry now that we're coming up against formidable opposition in the mm. next. I just, 
I just don't think it's the right sort of message to convey mid-tournament that he's going to get it regardless because all it takes is for England to get, I'm sure they won't, but get battered by Germany on Tuesday. And then the whole perception changes and loads of people then go, oh, we don't want Gareth Southgate. We don't want him anymore. And then he has a three-year contract and there mm. we go. Yeah. I mean, just to, just to jump on some of your points, you said, we expect nine points, but then I suppose about France, would they expect at least? Yeah. Well, know? yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, France. Spain? Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? I think I think as a as a country, you're always naturally going to go, oh, we should have had this. And maybe that is a bit of it. And um, But at the same time, I do think in all three games, I think the Croatia game sort of, everyone got really carried away because we won. Quite simply, I think everyone. I don't think when you look on reflection of it, it was that great. The Scotland game, I think it went exactly how most people expected it to go, in that they were resolute, sat back, came to frustrate England. If they could have got something on the break, they would have done. Mm. England looked like a side that just didn't know how to break down that. And then the Czech Republic game was a very weird one because it was sort of like the goal came early on. And it was almost like everyone just sort of went, well, well, we've got the goal. Like, if we get another one, then it's all right. But, you mm. know, not going to concede. When you look at it, though, eight clean sheets out of the last nine, that is, even though not the sexiest of football, it's still a level of football that is, um, you know, get c- conducive to getting points, just like... yeah. Others, I mean, France arguably don't play the sexiest football, relying on maybe players of individual brilliance. I also think a bit like England, France also, maybe not so much England. Also, in a way, it sort of feels like France haven't tried in a way. It's almost like, because the quality of player, Mm. I think is so much greater. I mean, you could feel the France B team and you would still back it to go all the way, I would argue, because they've got so much depth. I think... With England, I think unlike the last tournament, there was no expectation at the 2018 World Cup. And the whole thing was about just sort of reinstating a bit of pride and belief that maybe England could do something. And now we've in the Euros, it's very much the whole talk has been, well, England are one of the teams to be. And I think like like I sort of alluded to a bit earlier, international football is very different to... Mm. Club football, I think at club football, there's a certain demand that, yeah, whilst we know we won't win every week, at least we play nice football with international football, there's almost sort of this sort of, well, as long as you win, you know, it doesn't matter about the football because in the, the day it's like seven, eight games you're going to play and you, you just you just need to find a way to win in each one. But I think, if, like, I, I mean, I've spoken to a couple of friends and they sort of said, it's been a bit sort of, it's just sort of run through the mill. You're not really sort of like entertained as such, but you know it's getting the job done. And I think I think that's more understandable when you're playing bigger nation, mm. not to sort of like disrespect anyone else. When you're playing sort of Germany's and that, you just need to find a way to win. Mm. But when you're sort of so expected to win, I think, there should be a bit of expectation to at least try to entertain. It just feels 
really slow a lot of the time. Mm. And then I think that, that for me sort of a very Southgate sort of style of play, which, which it's working from a defensive perspective. But when, you know, you've got Kane who's sort of misfiring, whether that's because he's maybe conscious of what a, really good tournament could do so his price tag might inflate me even more but I don't think he's that sort of person no. anyway um, no you know, I don't you, think so you've got Grealish who I mean Grealish Grealish showed it's shown in every cameo just how good he is I mean I mean, I, I think one of the best players so far has been Saka I know he's played very little but yeah yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like there, there was there was sort of figure of eight you were sort of you were half yeah. going into Southgate and not going into yeah. happy yeah like fish. I, I can I think South when Southgate was brought in to yeah. the England role it was a very damaged sort of England side you know we'd lost to mm. Iceland and all that and I think the whole thing with bringing him in was he knows he's under 21 players you know he knows all these players that, would, that have been drafted in he can sort of harmonise it and bring it together. And he has. And he has. I just don't think he can take England to that next level where it sort of, they they really are up there. I think there's still better nations out there at the minute. Mm. I still, France are better, I still think. You know, and they didn't have the greats of groups. They just Portugal, I still mm. think. Bel- I think even like Belgium are better. Mm. You know, I, I think... Uh, it's just I just question whether he has it in him to go to the absolute next level. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I mean, semi final in twenty eighteen, it's quite impressive. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, a lot of people make out oh it was an easy route, but at the end of the day, you can only pick what's in front of you. Hmm. And whilst it was easy on paper, there was a lot of banana skins in that. Hmm. Colombia aren't a bad team. Sweden aren't a bad team. You know, Tunisia gave a really good game. You know, sort of. Mm. No, I, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head, really, with the camaraderie now being probably as good as it's ever been, um, or for at least the 21st century. I think when you think of all the players before, although that I think had a lot to do with the ideology of club sides. So the big club sides of the club rivalries between Arsenal, Man United, Man United, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, maybe less Man City, but then Chelsea as well, and everyone fighting for all these different accolades at club level. And it seemingly had an effect, of course, in the noughties particularly, uh, going into uh, the, the decade just gone as well. But uh, maybe it was a less of a thing as it, as it went on. But Southgate particularly, like you say, I think knowing the players from twenty under 21 level, knowing kind of having experienced the tournament himself, like Gary Neville said quite a few times, that helps experienced it with England, knows the good things, the bad things, what makes up a dressing room and a positive dressing room. After all, was in that Euro 96 squad that did ever so well. Uh, and he even, I think, alluded to the influence of Paul Gas going off the pitch was actually quite, I guess, a good thing because it helped take the pressure off some of some of the squads. He was so lapsed. He was so unserious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So that you can probably get that with a few other players. Even Jack Grealish is very nonchalant, very relaxed attitude. I mean, you only have to look at sort of like the stuff that England put out on their YouTube channel and stuff, which I think is great, by the way. I think it's mm. really, you see how together all these players are. And, you know, like you said, sort of 
back when we had sort of like the Gerrards and that, it, a lot of them mentioned how clicky it was and sort of if you play for Liverpool, you'd stick with your Liverpool. Like, but, you know, you see like pictures of sort of like really little things. I know it's not the biggest of deals, but, you know, like Kane and Saka together, you see like mm. Sancho and whoever together. And it seems like, I think sort of that generation in itself, because a lot of them grew up together playing sort of youth coming together the camaraderie is is there and I think it's sort of they all are friends as off the pitch as much as they are teammates on the pitch and I, I think that's really helped England a lot and, and, that, think, yeah. and, and, just, and Southgate deserves credit for that surely for instig- yeah. for, for, for being the hub of that I mean it, it might not be as different if you had a disciplinarian in charge who was sort of saying uh, I don't know something like Fabio Capello imagine, yeah. imagine that in, in, with the squad yeah. Well, that's it. I think when people look back at Southgate, and I think this is sort of myself included, I think we'll look back at him and go, he did exactly what was needed of him. He reinstalled a bit of pride in the nation, a bit of belief in the nation, and sort of sort of bonded bonded everyone together, both on and off the pitch, and sort of almost made us believe again. And whilst he may not be the person that sort of finishes the job as such and gets as a wins as a Euros or whatever, he'll be looked back as sort of he laid the foundations for it, which is which is a really important role because, you know, it's it's very easy to sort of credit people when they when they do win something. But you a lot a lot of the time you do have to credit people for when they sort of pick up the broken pieces and start to put it back together again. And I think yeah, I was going to say, do you seem a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United? Yeah, it's sort of that. Whilst Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might not be the person that I hope he is, I love it. I love it. It reminds me of um, Bilbo yeah. Baggins. Like sort of, I if I could, if I, the only thing I can sort of relate to close to me, is sort of like Nigel Pearson, seconds fell at Leicester when he left. He laid the foundations, and whilst if he stayed in charge, probably won that Premier League. Hmm without him laying the foundation sort of, you know, installing that sort of belief and, you know, give everything you've got for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think that is really important. The understated nature of Southgate, as you say, probably underappreciated by many. I mean, Gary Neville actually said on the first or the second games, he's the most important person in this squad. He is the, the best person in this setup is Callum pulls his faith. Um, so it does, um, th- there is certainly appreciation in, in with some of the pundits as well. Uh, I guess really though, one of the questions that often gets banded about is, you know, people say, Oh, we're not too sure on Southgate, but who would you have now with international management? I do think not the case with everyone before anyone jumps to conclusions, but generally I, I stereotype it's a manager who's succeeded to the best of their ability at club level and wants to go on to new pastures. I almost think Jose Mourinho's on the verge of... He is exactly... I say this to a lot of people. I went, if he was offered the England job, maybe not right now because it's a Roman job, but if he was offered the chance to manage England, he would take it. Mm. And he'd be perfect because he he's exactly what you'd want in an international manager. All he'd need is one tournament I think there's no chance for him to fall out with anyone, you know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he's worked with a lot of these players before, 
I don't think he would be the long-term option. I think mm. he'd be in one tournament, gone. But mm. he's the name that I sort of mention a lot, but not necessarily who I would want, but who I think would take the England job if he was offered it. I mean, you can't say it's a style thing as well, because you'd imagine the style will not be too dissimilar to the current style, you know? And no, I, it is. Whether that's just because it's a, the name, who it is, maybe mm. that's what it is. But I, I just, there's something about Mourinho in England, like, uh, it might not ever happen. It no. might, might manage Portugal, you never know. Mm. Which I think wouldn't be an unreasonable shout to make in the future. But mm-hmm. just someone like that, I mean... It depends which way you want to look at it. I don't think the England thing is now a project as such. I think these last this Southgate has been the project of building them up. Mm. Now, like the next person that replaces Southgate, whether that's at the end of this tournament or in two more tournaments' time, probably in a couple more tournaments' time, judging by this mm. extension, it's where what's what do we want from there? Yeah. To be fair, what I would say, sort of in summary to this, is that uh, the new World Cup, or the, the next World Cup's coming up very fast. In fact, because of the way the world is at the moment, and this has been delayed by a year, so this is summer 2021, the World Cup will be winter 2022, of course, in Qatar. So it's a bit of a rescheduling thing there, but it means there's not a lot of time to really embed anything too intrinsic, yeah. given relatively fast turnover when you consider all the things going on at club level. So... On that sense, I think it makes sense to keep Southgate for that tournament, probably. Um, but I think the general consensus between the two of us is it's always dangerous to reward before it's been earned. And again, this is this is this is going to mean two different things depending on when this is listened to. But before the you know, if England do go out to Germany, it's going to look quite bad. But if England do go through, there's a high chance to get to another semi-final given the route. So at that I think, point, I think it's also say England went out but were really unfortunate played really well no one cares about that do they no yeah that's what i mean no one cares but in like uh, sort of if you look back on it a while later you can go oh well but if say all it takes is england to lose convincingly yeah and everyone goes i can't believe you're offering southgate this contract yeah exactly exactly imagine offering roy Hodgson the contract before the iceland game can you imagine exactly that it's just a bit of a even if they were going to offer it regardless, just wait until after the tournament. Anyway, on to Euro takeaways. In the past few weeks, uh, myself, Jordan and co uh, have done the top five hots and top five not hots. I suppose I've condensed it really into um, just takeaways from the Euros in general. I, I think one thing I noted particularly uh, from a game you didn't necessarily watch live, but you can pretend that you did, was the uh, Italy game um, and Italy in general we saw, um, and it, I think Italy have been the only team this tournament, big team, that have shown a philosophy, an intrinsic philosophy that has uh, been worked on for a number of years, on and off the ball. There's a clear, coherent plan in many games, not necessarily the game most recent to Austria, but in many games they've been able to dominate possession, create chances at will, really restrict the opponents to minimal opportunities. You could argue Austria actually didn't have many opportunities in all fairness, but what Roberto Mancini's done there really makes him stand out because, as we sort of touched on before, very few teams have gone to the level of building that kind of what I would call club level, you know, uh, tactical setup with many seemingly going more for 
pragmatism and organisation with individual brilliance the difference uh, in tournaments. I don't know what you make of the that, that kind of Italian style thus far. No, I completely agree. I was actually going to say they play like they're a club and not a country. They sort of, and I know Mancini was brought in and they were sort of really on their knees, weren't they? Italy mm. sort of just like not made the World Cup and everything and sort of a lot of, because it, Italy like have always been, I've always known Italy to be a very good team. So it's a big shot when they didn't make the World Cup. Mm. They've they've got some really, really good players at the disposal. I mean, Barella, I think, is just a, I think he's a fantastic footballer. I think he's great. I think, you know, like you, you saw the impact Chiesa made off the bench yesterday. He's sort of lovely goal, like really, really well taken, sort of really played well at Serie A for Juventus this season as well. And I think he is warranted of a start in the next round. Because I think Berardi, who sort of started off really well, mm. just faded off last two games. Not to say he's played badly, he's just not been quite at that level. You know, they sort of they've got a really good spine, I think, Italy do, you know, they've got Donnarumma in goal who I think we all know just how good Donnarumma is, sort of the centre half partnership, sort of, you know, Locatelli and Jorginho, whoever that may be, sort of even Immobile up front, who I think, you know, proves a lot of people he's proven people wrong for years since he's been at Lazio's record speaks for itself. It's got sort of a really strong unit and sort of, I think, like you say, they're the only side with a real identity and I think that's credit to Mancini. I think he sort of come in straight away, sort of no sort of messing around, knew what he wanted to do, knew what players fitted which role and he sort of really elevated them. I wouldn't say they were dark horses. I think some people sort of said, you know, they're, they're, they're up there but I don't think people put them in the main shout. But I think yesterday, I think actually proved just how good they are because they didn't have to play at the best to win. Mm. And Austria, Austria, credit to them, sort of made it difficult for them. Mm. But yeah, I think Italy have been one of the best teams to watch as well this tournament. Yeah, in context of those working out, this has been recorded on the Sunday, yesterday, you know, time boundless. So just in case you get confused, yeah, this the podcast thing runs... Uh, Runs for several days, not just related to one day. Anyway, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, I think I think what is different, to be fair, as such, uh, like like we've said, why is it so rare? Do you think that it, okay, we see the team and the coaching setup do that? Why we not see more of it? I mean, you look at France, and so I remember France won the World Cup twenty eighteen. Uh, at the time, I remember a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's quite boring actually watching the play." Sometimes, particularly in the groups. Um, you know, and, and and we sort of touched on. I thought actually against Portugal, it was almost give the ball to Pogba, make him do something. Give the ball to Mbappe, make him do something. Uh, you know, give the ball to Griezmann, and it, it, it had that feel uh, again, almost like we're talking before, a bit like England, a bit like a Jose Mourinho team would, which is organised, give it to the best players, and then they can have creative freedom. Until that's quite different. Um, but why do you think? it's so rare to see that translated. There's a lot of reasons, I suppose, but is there any that stand out for you in particular? I think the biggest one is the most obvious one, which is the amount of time a manager gets with their team. I mean, at most, what they mean to not like three, four times a season. Hmm. And even then, what they're with each other for a maximum of 10 days, it's very hard to implement a tactic, especially with an international squad as well, where the players change a lot of the time. Sort of, it's very rare you'll see managers stick to the exact same twenty-three people for every international. You know, players come in and go. 
and different players work in different things. So I think more internationally, you see more experiment uh, experimentation because just purely because of personnel, you know, I, I can guarantee that every team that has got a squad now probably won't have the same squad for the next set of internationals. There'll be a different mm. group of people that are in. I think that is the main thing. But I think with Mancini, sort of very regimented, isn't he? Sort of the way he plays, he it sort of he will find the players that suit him as opposed to just sort of selecting the best players. Mm. But he gets out of what he has. And plus with Italy, I won't, I mean, you touched on it, Barella. Also, you've got Locatelli, who's had a wonderful start in midfield. Got Verratti, who's phenomenal. Immobile, who's regular. I mean, you've got, you've got a, a list of very, very good players, but no standout superstar. So I suppose when you've not, not, when you've not got a standout superstar and you've got a whole list of really good players, it's easier to say, OK, we're going to play like this because you know you're not looking for anyone in particular. You're just looking for the system to do the work. But interestingly, I'm just going to sorry, just going to say, Sex Fabregas said when he was on doing BBC punditry that systems actually negate a level of um, creativity. So he was sort of, and I think there was an insinuation, maybe oh, you could look at maybe Manchester City where everyone loads Pep Guardiola for what he does with the individuals, but it's actually the system really that does a lot of the work, makes up the minds of players and whatever. But then you look at someone like I don't know, again quoting Man United and Solskjaer. It's very much give the ball to Bruno Fernandes and he is given that licence to be creative and to drift everywhere that he wants. And there isn't really that same system in place, is there? I think sort of as well with like Italy, you, you mentioned sort of there's no real like big standout player. There's no like Ronaldo or there's no like Kane. What they do have is a, is a perfect blend of youth experience, but also leadership. I mean, Donnarumma is 22. The amount of appearances he's made sort of, you know, You've got Insigne, who's a well-established figure in Napoli. You've got Immobile, been around. Daniel Chiellini, Benucci, and all, all, all those sort of names. Verratti, Jorginho. You know, there's so many sort of... It's sort of the perfect complement you need because whilst a lot of these players are still youthful, like Barella and Donnarumma, they've still got so much experience behind them and playing at the highest level, which obviously most players have done at international level mm. I think that really helps with Italy I don't think there's no sort of prima donna as such there's no sort mm. of whereas I think in previous squads they probably have done mm. you know I, 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 I think I, they could go all the way I don't think they'll win it but no I think they're a really really good unit and I think Mancini set them up perfectly for a time that when he goes the next person comes in and can sort of implement sort of a similar-ish style, but mm. it will already, a lot of those players will still be around. You know, Donnarumma is going to be around for at least another 12, 13 years. Barella's, Barella's there, Locatelli's going to be there. You know, it's, they've got a really exciting future, actually. I, I think they've been one of the best teams to watch. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I would agree. Um, I think they've been exciting to watch from different perspectives, though, because, you know, some teams entertain, you know, like, you know, like the Spain-Slovakia game, they sort of, they just entertain you, by yeah. the way. I think Italy are great. Or Slovakia sport. or Spain? No, it's Spain, definitely yeah, Spain. Yeah. I, mean, that had, I mean, that had more of sort of a Minos versus Giants friendly. Mm, mm. It. Anyway, back to Italy. They sort of interest and have fascinated me more for the more geeky side of football. The, the mm. tactical element, the way they set up, the way sort of, you know, each 
it's it's very sort of basic and simple, but each player knows what they're doing. Even yeah. if they're on the bench, they know what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, I agree with you from that point of view. It has been refreshing. And from that point of view, you do want them to do well. Just a word actually as well on uh, everyone's uh, second favourite team. If Italy's everyone's third favourite for the style, I think second would be Denmark, who've been... Uh, remar- it's remarkable really what's happened in such a short space of time it looked like Ericsson as he well miraculously survived and credit to everyone at the time like we, like I discussed before on this podcast um, what's, it, what's also remarkable is the fact that Denmark actually picked themselves up to actually qualify for the knockouts and then not only qualify but absolutely dismantle Wales again they're probably my third or fourth favourite uh, on the list uh, of, of people of teams that have qualified you know, it's a shame it had to be Wales, but brilliant for Denmark as such, you know, immense character and, and just a wonderful story. I mean, the last two games alone, I think they're sort of woken people. mean, people tout them as dark horses anyway. And obviously, with the circumstances, a lot of people are thinking just how the itself up from this, you know, and the second game sort of it, it didn't go their way either, did it? And then the third game, the last two games in particular, they've just completely blown teams out of the water. I mean, it's not just sort of the fact that the score and goals, it's the way they move forward together, the way they, you know, they've got some really, really talented players. You know, Dam's got a really good player. Mailer yesterday, he was probably the standout one, wasn't he? he mm. They're a really strong unit. They've got two really strong leaders in Kiara and Schmeichel. I think those two are massive help for the rest of the squad because I rest that squad's quite young and sort of, they're, they're a joy to watch Denmark. They really are. I think everyone wants them to do well. They're sort of like, I think if England were to go out, everyone would be rooting for Denmark. And, you know, I, I, I think regardless of what happens, I think their manager is manager of the tournament because he deserves so much credit for sort of picking up that team and sort of sort of saying, you can still do this. And they well and truly have. They've been, they've been amazing. I think, mm. I think they have been the best side to watch regardless. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, commiserations to Wales there, and to Robbie Savage and people that attended the help uh, back. In. Yeah, Robbie Savage. Um, yeah, some interesting commentary from him yesterday. Sort <laughs> of every, everything wasn't a foul. Everything, everything was. He had this, a point with a few. That. Yeah, he had a point with a few. Again, the Keith Moore one was um, ridiculous. Mm. That was, mm. but you know, I'm sure Keith Moore's gutted he's missing the next game through suspension. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That his side's been knocked out. Uh, yeah, Wales. I mean, they started off well, um, but it's just sort of. I think they were just completely over in quality as well, isn't it? Across the yeah, board, I think, I think they were just completely overran. And mm. I think uh, it's a really poor. Thing. I do think fatigue did play a part of it because they travelled and yeah, travelled from Baku to Rome to mm. Amsterdam. Been here, there, and everywhere. Quite simply, and you, yeah. you know, I think they were never going to match up to the hype of. 2016 but I think they're very much a side that if Ramsey and Bale aren't at mm. their best then it's hard to see where something's going to come from and they weren't great yesterday but I think that's more credit to Denmark isn't and, it? and Ramsey and Bale themselves haven't had the best of seasons at club level so it was asking a lot really for them to to lift yeah. it it's also yeah. it's also awkward this segment because there's so many games that haven't actually happened and then you've got to be selective and talk about certain things and I think I think we've done quite well there actually. 
Uh, so you'll probably guess again which games haven't gone ahead at this point. Obviously, the great battle between England and Germany hasn't gone ahead, but we have sort of insinuated that in the first section. And uh, then I suppose the Gareth Southgate one becomes more relevant because either England have gone through and you think, yes, he needs to be given a 10-year contract or uh, Gareth Southgate uh, uh, or England have gone out and Gareth Southgate uh, is going to be agreed to with pitchforks and fire like on The Simpsons on that um, episode or movie, I think it was. But we'll go away from the Euros now because, again, it's too time-bound that really upset me but it is and it becomes irrelevant after all these other results come out and I'm sure we'll enjoy watching them as much as you will but outside of the Euros onto a club level basis um, I think it's been really hotting up actually I mean when I first start, when we first started doing the Euros podcast actually Callum it was with the focus of being entirely on the Euros that quickly changed because there's a lot going on actually outside of um, European competition also Copper America I mean, um, fair play to anyone who's watching that, uh, as well as this. I think those in America, listeners in America will tell you, I think their, their day starts at something like um, 9 nine a.m. to 9 p.m. And they can do it, actually, without going into too many unsociable hours, unfortunately for myself, probably for you as well. Work yeah. commitments stop us I, from doing that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll probably get up at half time for most games. I'm too busy going to work. So there you go. It's it, the the brutalities of of the of the working life. Anyway, on to the uh, well. I think we'll start with managers, really, because I think that's been really uh, interesting for this past. I don't know, God knows how long. Particularly uh, Tottenham Hotspur managerial vacancy, which is a bit like I don't know, really. Uh, we've we've seen. We saw, I remember a few months ago, high to the pandemic, there was 1,000 applications for one job as a waiter uh, in Manchester, uh, which was quite which was quite extravagant. And then, I mean, there's a bit, almost been 1,000 applications or, or, or people turning down the Tottenham job, oh, which is yeah. quite incredible. I think I, saw, I think, I can't remember if it was yesterday or this morning, I saw a graphic, of sort of, you could do a managers who've rejected Spurs 11. Hmm. Well, shall, can we, shall we try? Shall we try? We've got... Uh, Fonseca from from Roma. We've got oh, oh formerly Roma. We have Pochettino. We're not really rejected, but um, well rejected slash turned down. Yeah, I mean Gattuso will be in there, won't he? Mm-hmm. Um, Ten Hag. Um, essentially quite a lot. I don't want to bore everyone. Essentially quite a lot. Uh, but I imagine you could probably you're probably right. You could probably fill. And 11, Ella Pettigrew, uh, de- he definitely did. Um, what, what we're going to do, continue the discussion. Every time I remember a name, I'm just going to shout it out just to interrupt <laughs> at yeah. some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Conte. Yeah. Well, he was the big one, wasn't he? He was, yeah. he was the one that I think sort of, it really sort of rolled the dice of rejections, didn't it? Because I think there was a lot of people that thought, well, if he gets the Spurs job, they probably will actually win something after all because mm. I, I know for a fact that when I saw him linked and it was almost done, I said to my dad, I said to my friends, but this is it. Oh, and this is the, this is the Spurs. This is, this is the Spurs. Spurs won't be Spurs anymore though. Oh. Conte will elevate them. But mm. I thank- thought, I thought they'd get fourth within this season. And I thought there'd be a title challenger next with Conte. Uh, with anyone yeah. else, I thought, be lucky to get top seven and currently even though i got quite a good uh, tra- i got quite a good traction actually for this tweet in the you know the new Nuno Espirito santo appreciation tweet which was sort of in response to everyone saying no to Nuno. i just think who do you think you are i mean really harsh on me. a lot of spurs people i know that 
the the no to Gattuso thing was for different reasons. Different reasons. The no to Nuno thing is just plain and stupid. The man's work wonders at Wolves. I, I've got a couple close connections to Wolves because I've done stuff for them before, and I know a lot of Wolves fans. Is is extraordinary. I think he moved on from Wolves at the right time. Mm. The idea that Spurs think Nuno is beneath them is, well, Spurs fans think Nuno is beneath them is beyond me for some reason. I think he would be, I think he'd be doing a right job there, actually. Yeah. I mean, back three to solidify a dodgy defence, worked wonders with Doherty. Reggion could probably be a good wing back. I'm just I'm just quoting my tweet here actually. So if you haven't liked it already, please do. Um, yeah, I just think it was. Um, I, I, you're right. I think I don't like the. Um, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, what, what 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 word am I looking for? Sort of rejecting a manager's principles before you've even seen them. Uh, yeah, I've been higher than or or prejudice or or looking down upon. You know yeah. what? What? What could they look down upon from? I mean, Spurs have for years been sort of the the almost, haven't they? Like mm. they, they almost won a Premier League. They almost won this. They almost won that. Yeah. It's it's getting to a point where sort of you know, there's obviously a common theme as to why so many managers have turned them down. You know, obviously some of them will be money issues. Some of them will be other things. And you know. But I think, you know, I think Conte highlighted it perfectly. There's no ambition at Spurs. And sort of you compare and contrast them to other clubs like, are they any better than, you know, like Wolves at the minute? I know they've got Kane's son, but other than that, like... Probably. Probably. Yeah, probably. Are they like, you know, they're not sort of, they're not as attractive to play for as you would argue. I mean... There's a reason why Harry Kane wants to leave. Mm. Trophies, doesn't he? Well, I actually thought Conte would have kept Kane, but I don't think the. Yeah, I think he would have been the only one. Mm. I think he or Pochettino, the... maybe. Yeah, but I think the Pochettino one was very. Mm. I think there was as much in that as maybe. I think I think one thing though that I suppose with the new No Espirito Santo links, I think the one thing that irks Tottenham fans, which I can kind of understand, is when Daniel Levy came out and said. We know what our DNA is. We want to appoint someone with the Spurs DNA, and the Spurs DNA is all about the high press and the and the passing and the and the moving and the attacking football. We concede some, we score more. That's kind of what they got from that. What you got under Harry Redknapp, what you got under Pochettino, uh, to a point under Andre Villas-Boas, but maybe not quite as effectively as the other two. So when you're linked with the Espirito Santo, that's almost like a continuation of a lesser. Jose Mourinho to some people's mind. Yeah, I mean, they threw away the DNA, didn't they? As soon as they appointed Mourinho, they appointed Mourinho on the sole basis to win trophies. And then, mm. typical Spurs, five days before the chance to win a trophy, mm. that's Mourinho. But yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, you, you're right. Nuno is sort of a, not mainly Mourinho, but he, he sort of, his, his style of players. Well, Similar, isn't it? To I think one obvious difference is though that Nuno's kind of met, it, there's a bit more of an obvious system in play with wing backs, and you also get the sense that the players really did like him at Wolves, and there was no sense of falling outs or or dramas. Whereas with Mourinho, again, it was ne- never really. I mean, he has played back three with Spurs, but never confidently, I don't think. And it was never there was less confidence, I think, in his methods, I suppose, at Tottenham than maybe you would get with a, with Nuno coming in. Steady in the ship, 
getting players on side and, and well, delivering good organised football to a point. They need to have a, good, need to have a big rehaul, don't they? I mean, it seems inevitable that Kane's going. Where he goes is a different question. That's for another day, isn't it, really? Um, there's so much needs with the defence needs sorting out majorly. I mean, it, it's it's old and the players there aren't that great at the back, are they? It's mm. sort of a very sort of, you know, Davinson Sanchez's hit and miss can be good on his day. Older Viral didn't have the best seasons last year. Keep him around, wouldn't you? Yeah, he's, yeah, you, you keep him around more, but you you know, you want, I, I think sort of that, it's sort of ending its cycle. I think they just need a complete rehaul and sort of new faces. You know, get a lot, get rid of a lot of the dead weight that's sort of around there. Sort of, yeah. yeah just I, I mean, if Kane goes, if slash when Kane goes, that money needs to be reinvested properly because we all saw the last time they sold a big big name, Gareth Bale. They reinvested it horribly, and you know, sort of took a lot of work from Pochettino to sort of restore it and make them sort of worthy title contenders. You know, I think they're a good few years. I think whoever's in charge needs to be have the freedom being at Spurs for a good couple of years. It's just whether someone wants to work with Daniel Levy. That's mm. the big Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, if, if Nuno Espirito has... I mean, the link with Steven Gerrard, the possibility of, I think, Scott Parker, who yeah. would probably play a nicer brand of football. I do think he'd probably do an okay job, but you'd just be a very slow okay job. I don't think it'd be any miraculous job. Well, I think the one, the one sort of, if you would label anyone, it'd be Graham Potter. Yeah. But I think put himself out, hasn't he? I think Graham Potter would be perfect for that mm. role. Yeah. Um, but I, like I said, I don't think he's interested in it. No, me. no. I mean, on the other, on the other, the other quite big club, Jordan's club, Everton. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've no his reaction to the possibility of Rafa Benitez cannot be repeated on the podcast. Um, mm. So he's not too happy. Um, I guess the reason it's difficult, really, because I think Rafa Benitez is, is a, he's a solid manager, good tactician, um, does a fairly decent job at most places that he goes. But he's, I would say, recently go back four or five years. I don't think he's set the world on fire. I think one assumption, which was quite, I think Simon Jordan said it, was that when he was at Newcastle, the reason, one of the reasons why the fans loved him, a bit like when Ancelotti was at Everton, was that they gave them hope of, of better and better signings. But also, he literally publicly and uh, went went head to head with Mike Ashley, which is not something very many managers at Newcastle do. The owners hate Mike Ashley. They also love the prospect of or, or desire an ambitious aim of, of getting into Europe in you know, top seven, maybe even the Conference League now or whatever. But um, I guess I guess if we take that out of it. He's not had the most impressive of, of years, at least compared to when he was at Liverpool. Uh, where I think he's probably the the best years of his career, and that, and that, that's the other one, Liverpool, where he was a legend, where he absolutely adores the club. He's publicly uh, patronised Everton on a number of occasions. So, yeah. yeah, it's an awkward one, that isn't it? Yeah, again, I feel like Everton sort of clutched at straws a bit, didn't they? Because they sort of went for others, didn't they? And mm. things materialised. So I think they sort of panicked a bit and went, "Who can we?" Sort of, yeah. I mean, he's still based, his family's still based in Liverpool, aren't they? Benitez, it's not just moving or anything. I think, you know, he wasn't that great out in China, was he? Didn't no. 
times in China. Newcastle, he did what he needed to do there, sort of. You know, I think as well, like with the Ancelotti thing, it's sort of it's it's the name, isn't it? Mm. Sort of when you think Rafa Benitez, you think <laughs> Liverpool, Champions League, like Ancelotti, yeah. big club. So I think I think you know Everton fans like to be entertained, and again, mm. like I pointed out with Nuno, I think it's a bit Rafa's a bit more of a defensive man, isn't pragmatist, he? Pragmatist, yeah. Yeah, and I I I, I just. I'm very surprised he's taken it on the pure basis of the Liverpool connection. And it's sort of, it's sort of very much the same as when he took the Chelsea job, isn't it? And they didn't mm. want to him at all. Even though he had a relatively successful time there, mm. you still speak to Chelsea fans and they don't speak of him fondly. I'm just, I just feel that that would be the same. And I think unless he does something miraculous at Everton, like wins them something, yep. yeah, he's not going to be... It, it, it could be, it could turn quite nasty, to be honest. I, I think it eclipsed Steve Bruce as the most hated manager by his own fan base in the league, isn't it? Because yeah, Steve Bruce I, I, is winning that by quite a lot now, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the opposite side, that is Steve Bruce's Newcastle fan. Yeah. Which, that make, which makes it probably horrible for him, but you know. Former Sunderland manager as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. I think the, the Benitez thing, I think, you know, uh, we all know how sort of diehard these scousers are towards their clubs, you know, Everton are a very, you know, you know, the club, the club is everything to them and sort of, you know, I know that if I was an Everton fan and I saw an ex-Liverpool legend or whatever coming into my club, I wouldn't feel mm. too comfortable about it. I think unless he performs absolute miracles and, and every year Everton always seems to get touted as this club that will break into the European spots and stuff, don't they? They always get mm. touted around that Mm. but they sort of never quite live up to it. You know, it's whether they keep holding plays, you know, like, is Hammers going to stay? Can Rafa get the best out of Hammers? Mm. Charleston, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, is anyone mm. going to come in? Him. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of questions that need answering at Everton. And it's, it you know, he, he, he's got to hit the ground running straight away. Yeah. Well, as I, as I say, I, t- I, I said this, I actually said to Jordan on this pod, well, off the podcast, I think I said, oh, I think Nuno Espirito Santo a bigger manager. He goes, no, no, I want Conte. So I suppose you reap what you sow when you make statements like that. I'm, you know, these yeah. lovely, wonderful managers know we want this. Well, you get what you're given and look now, it's like you, you've stick or twist and you've gone, you've gone that way. Um, and just a quick word actually on, yeah, I, I, I joke a little bit. I'm sure he wasn't being serious when he said that, but uh, t- touch on uh, briefly, Crystal Palace, they got Lucy Favre, the fan base were jumping for joy. I think Dan Hopkiller could go on, Dan, absolutely delighted. Uh, not too delighted the day after when he called it all off. Um, Lucy and Favre, uh, obviously, I mean, Favre himself, he didn't have the best time at Dortmund, I don't think, didn't really take them to the next level, but you know, he's done some phenomenal jobs uh, across the board over the past 10 years, really, in the Bundesliga and Liga. Uh, probably would have done something really good for Palace, but pulled out at the last minute, wants to take a longer sabbatical. Part of the reason, apparently, was lack of funds available at Palace. So, not good. I'm a big fan of Favre, actually, and I think he would have been the perfect appointment for Palace, because, like you said, he He's done some really good rebuilding jobs, sort of, hasn't he? With clubs that have sort of struggled or sort of hit a bit of a stick, it's just sort of hit a bit, stagnated a bit, mm. sort of elevated them. Not maybe to the absolute best levels, but sort of got them playing nice football and got them playing better and sort of integrated a nice philosophy. He'd been really good at that for Palace, but you know, it, Palace 
worry me a lot this season. Mm. I think Grisha, you know, they've got no Eze until next year, have they? Zaha's one of the, you know, as per Zaha wants to leave every year. Zaha wants to leave, unsurprisingly, yeah. where he goes because Palace value and way above what anyone actually would consider paying for him these days. Mm. It's another thing. Uh, they've got a lot of old. They've got a really aging squad. A lot of players are all out of contract. You know, you know they should get Roy Hodgson on it. On yeah. yeah, he's a good manager, isn't he? He, he could swing them out of retirement. Swing out of retirement, maybe take the reins. Um, Newcastle you know, fans think Steve Bruce would be a good shout as well for them, but I suppose that might be with it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's there's certain you know there's a lot of things you know. Didn't Wild Wilder got linked with it? Whether he would take it. Man. Eddie Howe, maybe he take it. I I I struggle to see if Palace will appoint now. I think I, I they're a bit like Spurs. I honestly don't know who mm. could be or will be their manager now because I think the father thing was so set on. And, you know, it, it's a real shame for Palace because I think they would have got it would been quite a good coup for Palace to bring him in. I think it'd been completely different to Roy as well. I think he would have you know sort of tried to. I think whoever comes into Palace has to take the club in a different direction. Mm. Anyway. I love how we, we call him Roy like he's a big cuddly bear. I think he is really Roy. He is, and he yeah, is. he is a cuddly bear. Roy, Roy is a great man. He is a lovely man. Players on the move. We've done managers, we've done players on the move. We've sort of touched on Zaha then, uh, but we'll, we'll go to more prominent ones. I mean, this week, uh, I think Jim White broke the news that Jack Grealish was off to Manchester City for £100 million, according to his and TalkSport sources. That's been slightly pedalled back since. Um, uh, transfer expert. Yeah. He quickly was on the scene after that, wasn't he, to uh, stress that it wasn't done. Hundred mi- I mean, it did. Sp- I, was, I was sort of reading this at work thinking, hmm, that is quite an extravagant fee. You obviously got Jed and Sancho, which does look like it will get done, uh, for about £77 million. Grealish, £23 million pound more. Mm. Yeah, I think that Sancho thing's been the longest transfer saga ever, hasn't it? Really, it's sort of almost boring now. So sort of, I think people, when it's done, people just go, oh, it's done." Mm. The, the Grealish one just sort of, if Grealish and Kane both end up at City, then it's just sort of game over, really. Isn't it's like it? football monopoly, though, isn't it? It's like buying the two blue houses. It's. Yeah. Um, do we talk about the Grealish one? Though, I mean, if I was at Villa and I got hundred million, I think I would sell and reinvest that money, you know, into, into areas of the squad. I mean. We talk about Zaha. Now, I think Zaha would be great for Aston Villa. He takes players on, scores goals, almost similar to Jack Grealish, probably not quite as effective, but... Here, haven't they? Which Wendy was brought in as mm. the, to play with or replace. Yes. likely to be replaced. I mean, if you're Jack Grealish, it's, you have to weigh it up. You can either stay at your boy or club and can go and play under or play with the best players in the world and guarantee yourself trophies. Mm. But unfortunately, the Burnley's already spent that money on Nathan Collins, so he can't join yeah. up with the Sean Dyche and Co. But yeah, no, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But at the same time, I was surprised when he signed the five-year deal last year. Yeah, well, aren't they? I read that they were talking to him about signing a new deal again. <laughs> so it's 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 how it's. I think Grealish is very much sort. I think it's a bit different to the Harry Kane thing, whereas like mm. with. Billy, he, he knows that it's unlikely they're going to win things every year. Like Whereas mm-hmm. with Spurs, there's sort of an expectation that they could slash should be maybe winning a cup or something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. And sort of Kane, it's you need to go and win. With Grealish, I think it's like you 
everyone just knows how, how good he is. And he is a genuine boyhood Villa fan. It's, it's whether he wants to go or not. And I think wherever he is, he'll still be a phenomenal footballer. And, you know, I, I, I don't think Villa fans would begrudge him if he left because I think he's given them everything and more. Mm. But at the same time, I think if he said, no, I'd like to stay with Villa, I don't think many people would go, oh, well, you've thrown it away and sort of mm. you're, you're wasting your best years or whatever. And see him link up with the Bruyne and Foden and sort of all, all them together at Man City, though, it would be very interesting. Whilst terrifying at the same time, it would yeah. be interesting to watch. I think the prospect of them three feeding balls into Harry Kane if he's there as well is, um, it, you know, probably quite a horrible thought for any defender. Two hundred and fifty million pounds though, when Pep Guardiola said we didn't have money to buy a striker. That's quite, um, quite a, quite a leeway, isn't it? From the it's almost like Man City have absolute money to burn, and FFP means nothing anymore. Well. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, PSG, we, we, we love, we love, we go on PSG, but when, when PSG got Mbappe and Neymar, one nine eight one six four million pounds in transfer fees, then sort of set the precedent, really, didn't it? I mean, Man City's record transfer today, it's only £62 million pounds for Rodri. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I think if those two both end up at Man City, then it is, it's hard not to see them just winning the league every year. <laughs> Well, there is there is that, but then I think if Kane went to City, that would perhaps stoke the fire in Roman Abramovich's uh, metaphorical office place um, to go and get Haaland for similar money, um, yeah. you know. And when you can offer like Chelsea can, the likes of Hudson Odoi, Abraham, if he doesn't go to Villa, linked he'd been linked with Villa recently, but when you can offer two players like that with money. It's quite a good incentive, isn't it, to say, oh, actually, we'll, we'll take that on, especially for a club like Dortmund who thrive with young players. Yeah, I, I still think there's part of me that thinks Cassandra's going this summer. They're very much under the, if one if one goes, the other stays until next season. I, 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 there's still part of me that doesn't think Haaland's going to leave this summer anymore, actually. I, I mean, I didn't think, I was under the impression he probably wasn't going to leave, but um, when you when you put 110 million with Abraham, with Hudson Adoy, there's a point where you go, whoa, Okay then, I think we're robbing be, you now. I think you'd be you'd be silly not to consider it as a as a Dort, from a Dortmund perspective. Haaland would definitely be, um, but it's whether Haaland is like most big money strikers that comes to Chelsea in recent times. Mm. Sort of struggles to that. The only thing is though, and and when you so I was, re- I was reading something like well, everyone's definition of world class differs mine. I think Neville coined it really, so but I like to borrow it. Um, is is sort of top five per position, and you have like so obviously if you're really so fullbacks, top five fullbacks, world class, top five strikers, world class, top five wingers, world class, top five central midfielders, world class. World class are sort of doing it for a definitive period of time. When you look at strikers and you think Harlan, you think yeah, he's world class, but really in the top European league, he's performed exceptionally well for eighteen months. We do get a bit carried away with that, I think. I mean, Jadon Sancho, for example, I'm not sure whether Jadon Sancho is world-class, but from a longevity point of view, there's been a couple of seasons now, two, two or three seasons in Germany where he's done really, really well. The other thing as well is sort of Bayern Munich as well. It's worth mm. what Bayern Munich do because, you know, Lewandowski, he's exceptional, but, you know, he's, he's getting to that age, isn't he, where they're sort of probably casting an eye over in a couple of years. Mm. 
all it takes is to buy Munich. And, you know, and there has been talk of Bayern Munich potentially trying to sort something out. So is it next season his release clause comes in? Yeah, 62 million. And I should imagine Bayern Munich can afford that. If he doesn't go this summer, it's very much a case of who pounces straight away, I think. And to be honest, if Van Haaland and Bayern Munich come in, you know, you also sort of, it's, you know, he's settled well mm. in Germany, sort of, you know, there's a habit of Dortmund players going to buy and the challenge would be maybe see if he could better what Lewandowski's done there. He's a Leeds fan though, isn't he? So, you know, he might well, pop down to Ellen Road. Bad play for Man City. Yeah. There's endless possibilities with Haaland, but I think he's a different story. So I still don't think he'll move this summer. I think, you know, I think the transfer window sort of taken the, the back burner as it sort of always does in international tournament seasons. But I think when it ends in a couple of weeks' time, I think we're going to see some really interesting developments. I think yeah. there, there seems to be some really exciting signings coming to the Premier League, especially this summer. All I'd say is really, I don't. I mean, Kane won't go unless there's, unless there's a monster offer. Grealish won't go unless there's a monster offer. So if those two signed of or one being Kane drops, the domino drops. Dortmund won't sell Holland, but a yeah. monster offer. You, you know, sometimes so, so, some things are too good to turn down. You know, yeah. every player has the price, no matter who it is. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but there's a few that are close to being confirmed. I mean, Donnarumma to PSG looks like it's going to happen. It's a super signing. Uh, Hakimi as well looks like he's on the, on the way, which is interesting because PSG don't traditionally play back three and you would argue is the best or one of the... No, I would say the best wing back in the world. But as a fullback, it, a, bit, a bit of a different position, isn't it? A little bit. It's a shame for Inter Milan though, isn't it? Because I think they got a real coup when they got him. I was very surprised Madrid let him go after the way he played. Yeah, like you say, Madrid sort of play over four, don't they normally? So maybe they just didn't sort of see him playing as a right back for them. But I, Hakimi is a real big talent. I've been a massive fan of him for years now, and I, I think he's a really good option for pitch. It might maybe Poch is looking at going to the back three. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, it depends if they bring Ramos in as well. You know, Ramos, Kimpembe, and Marquinhos. Not a bad back three, is it? I thought it made so much sense for Chelsea, but I know they were linked with him as well. And uh, and there were rumours of a, of a 60 million bid with Alonso. I thought, get that done. But obviously, uh, PSG stole the march there. And obviously, Donnarumma. And a lot of say really harsh on Kaylor Navas, who's still got quite a few uh, years left in his locker. You know, a very, very top goalkeeper. Uh, really ousted out of Real Madrid for no other reason than Thibaut Courtois became available. It seems to be the same here with Donnarumma. But Donnarumma's... You know, you've got a number one for 10 years, haven't you? If you can get Donnarumma on a free, you'd be silly not to get him. If you mm. can get him. Mm. But, I mean, Navas, don't you know, exceptional goalkeeper. Like you say, I think he's a bit sort of, he goes a bit under the radar sometimes, just how good he is. I think that's partially to do with his nationality as well, sort of, you know, the country he plays for and that. I think that might play a small role in it, but I yep. think he's a goalkeeper. But when Donnarumma comes on on a free, you don't say no, do you? No, probably not. Probably not. Although he does come with Mino Raiola, who's an interesting sort of plus one. So I suppose, uh, I mean, having read Ibrahimovic's book, I got some Raiola in a new light. But for clubs, he's a bit of a nightmare. Uh, so don't know where my accent went off there. I go up, go for one for you, Callum. Actually, Daka to Leicester. That's exciting, yeah. isn't it? Very exciting. From what I've read, it could be officially announced. I mean, he's announced it himself that he's joining us in in Austrian newspapers. So it feels like it's only a couple of days before the official announcement comes. And um, it came 
it moved really quickly. I mean, the whole Edward thing, it looks certain that Edward was coming to Leicester and then sort of the news broke out about the sort of Rogers tax that they've put on players when Leicester tried to buy anyone sort of. And there was a bit of a disagreement in between both the fee between Leicester and Celtic and um, how much Edward actually wanted. I think that so they sort of weighed up both options and thought whilst Edward might hit the ground running slightly sooner because mm. of just playing under Rogers before, Daka represents more of a sort of real long-term acquisition and a player that will both improve Leicester and add value to the squad without sort of, you know, it is got potential to be the long-term striker. And, you know, I know it's the Austrian league, but his record's ridiculous. Mm. Mm. He was to replace Haaland. So you've got to have a bit about you to brought in to replace Haaland. It's Red Bull and Red Bull do, whether you like their model or mm. not, know a player when they see one. Mm. And from what I've read, from what I've seen, from what I've watched, a lot of people have said this could be the signing of the summer. It's really exciting to see him and the prospect of him playing in a Leicester shirt. If he's played for Red Bull, he probably has wings as well. So that's just another yeah. Yeah, another yeah. string to his bow, really. Very Vardy-esque as well. Like mm. He likes Red Bull, doesn't he, Vardy? Yeah, he loves a Red Bull. He loves... Not for me. Yeah, not for me. Either. I'm a Ronaldo. I'm I'm I, Red Bull. Put it to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shui, I think he's. Oh no, that's that's Chinese. <laughs> that's Chinese. There you go. It's not not what not what Ronaldo said. I've got what he said. Uh, Agua, which is yeah, Agua. Um, yeah, Dak is really exciting. Um, it, no, but it feels like with Leicester at the minute, it's a lot of we're just waiting for announcements because we've got Samari has been done for months. Mm. Waiting for him. Uh, I think uh, the last thing I read that it was going to take up to ten days because he was in France. So he must be walking from France to um, yeah, the, uh, yeah. Well, if he has some Red Bull, I'm sure he'll make that walk in quite a speedy yeah. time. Just on Burnley's point of view, twelve million pound signing. Uh, Nathan Collins discusses a bit off air. Raw talent, Callum describes him as. Um, you know, Burnley. <laughs> There's a joke that if Burnley sign another few players from Stoke, they'll have one free because they seem to like uh, exchanging with Stoke, like a feeder club almost. And this is probably the youngest player Burnley's ever got from Stoke, though. Don't quote me on that. But many of them seem to be in the over-30s bracket. This is not one of them, so that's very good. Um, we're happy with that. And Burnley, Burnley making June moves for the first time in about 25 years uh, in the transfer market, which is absolutely fantastic. Makes me very happy. Makes the transfer market a much nicer place to be when your club is making moves. Lasting point, just for just for the David's sake, Mr. David Embu, a lovely, lovely man who listens and retweets to a lot of the things we put on and a lot of the things I say. I uh, had the pleasure of speaking to him a while ago. I uh, had the pleasure of listening to Callum's wonderful voice before when he was on last time. And ju- just for the sake of that he listens to predictions and wanted it, I'll just give you I'll just give you two games uh, to predict. Uh, we'll go for the one that's going to be tonight, so you'll already know when this goes out, if you've got this right or not, and then we'll go with one. So I'm going to go Belgium-Portugal, because that's interesting. I'm going to go England-Germany, because, of course, that's the one, really, that interests many of us in England. And ju- just briefly, if you'd like to answer those, for David, for, for no one else but David. Okay, David, this is big, because I got it right last time, so pressure on my shoulders. Uh, for the Belgium one, I'm going to go, go 2-1 Belgium. England, Germany. I go one-one after ninety minutes, but this is hard. Do I go with my head or do I go with my heart? I'm gonna go with my heart, and I'm gonna say England are gonna win two-one in extra time. 
Mm. England's going to do the unthinkable and score twice within a yeah. game. Incredible. Mm. Incredible. England scored twice and Belgium to win 2-1. David, get your bets on, but bet responsibly, I should say. Uh, so don't put any bets on. Um, but yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Callum, where can people find you? And find me on my Twitter at Callum underscore Boyle underscore, and then you can follow my content on Vavil. Yeah, I start again. I've had a little break. Uh, yeah, but we're back firing, backfiring. Yeah, and and as noted, uh, he's he's a uh, relative Susan, and I should say a uh, Charles for any Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, listeners. Uh, that's our American audience. Fantastic show. Um, they're very proud of his achievements and his first um, in his degree. Uh, so yeah, join us next week for uh, what I hope to be a more rounded summary of European uh, fixtures. But I honestly don't know how these fixtures land. I haven't really looked too far ahead. So by the time I realise that everything I do is almost time bound and, and and pointless within two days, I'll probably change that thought process. But Big thanks to Callum uh, for stepping in to Jordan's shoes with his Jack Grealish-esque accent. Don't forget to like. You can't like it, but you can review it and you can give a five-star rating. You can also subscribe. Mean a lot to me. Mean a lot to uh, Transfer News Central. Uh, mean a lot to the wonderful people at Big Heads Media. So after you've done all that, remember to keep calm, stay safe and uh, have a wonderful rest of the week. <laughs>